This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. That fear that if I'm working on an accent, I will never be able to act again. And I can either sound accurate or I can be an actor. It is my job as a coach. It is part of my job to hold their hand through that. Those two goals on the opposite side of the field become closer and closer and closer until they integrate. You just have to shut down your brain from worrying. Welcome to Working. I'm your host, June Thomas. And I'm your other host, Isaac Butler. And the voice you heard at the top of the episode belongs to Samara Bay. Isaac, who is Samara Bay and why did you want to talk to her for working? Uh, Samara Bay is a dialect coach uh, for TV and film. And I really wanted to talk to her for all sorts of reasons. I guess on some level, you know, I just find the human voice and all the things it can do totally fascinating. But, uh, you know, I was also curious because I feel like there's a lot more attention paid to dialect now, particularly because there's this kind of new British invasion over the last 10 years of actors from the UK coming to the United States and starring in TV and film. And so... We have a lot more actors performing with accents that are radically different from the ones they use in their everyday life. And I just wanted to know, like, how do you do that? Yes, I agree. It's totally fascinating. And I also think that dialect coach is one of the toughest jobs in show business. Like, there's such an infinite variety of target accents and presenting accents. So you're never teaching the same thing twice. And nobody, well, one rarely notices or praises a successful accent, but there will be no end of commentary if it doesn't sound quite right, at least according to the armchair experts watching and listening at home. It's just impossible, right? Yeah, absolutely. Although one that is uh, successful that Slate's own Sam Adams, of course, uh, wrote a great piece about that our listeners should check out is Mm. uh, Kate Winslet's Philadelphia accent in uh, Mayor of Easttown. I investigate the burglaries and the overdoses and all the really bad crap that goes on around here. But yeah, it, it, it's very hard, in part because there is actually no such thing as a standard accent. No one speaks a textbook perfect example of their regional, racial, class-specific dialect. Mm-hmm. Everyone's a little bit different, and people code switch all the time, right? Yeah. So, um And if you actually tried to capture that in all of its complexity, I think people would think you were doing the accent wrong. So it's a very weird, sweet spot to have to hit. I will say, just have to get this out there, that I do think American viewers and particularly critics are maybe a little too forgiving of English actors' American accents. There is this idea we have that English actors are all really great at American accents when actually they kind of just all sound like this. Um, and yeah. uh, uh, we have a bit of a cultural inferiority about our, our acting, and we shouldn't. We are all so good at what we do. I so agree. Uh, Australian actors, on the other hand, can do just about any accent, it appears. Yes, I agree. I agree. And in fact, I feel like I'm one of those people who can do any accent 
but I cannot speak with an American accent. I once went to a dialect coach myself for a Slate video back in the day. Mm -hmm. And the person, Amy Stoller, a great dialect coach, I was her worst uh, customer ever. And she tried to teach me that famous Philadelphia phrase, I'd like a little bottle of water, please. And I just did not sound like anything but an English person who's... British accent is pretty weird doing a pretty weird American accent. Amazing. You know, it's sort of like uh, I remember one moment in when I was a kid seeing the movie Clear and Present Danger. And there's a part where they have a voice recording of the mysterious villain. They don't know who he is, but they, they have a recording of his voice. And they're like, ah, yes, we've broken down the voice and he's from Colombia, but English educated and all. And I just loved that you could just like take all those markers of someone's voice and know everything about them. You have worked as a theatre director, Isaac. Did you spend a lot of time worrying about the accents your actors were using? I mean, obviously it very, would vary a lot depending on the play. Actually, a lot of the work that I've directed is um, new American plays, living playwrights. They knew the actors who would be involved, so there was less of that. But I will tell you, when I was a, a professional actor as a kid, I was in a play in which I had to have like a nor'eastern rural Maine accent and we got a tape from uh it was like a professionally made tape that you could like buy at 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 a theatrical bookstore and it was like a guy who would teach you via this tape how to speak um in that accent he had dozens of tapes of various different accents and i and i remember listening to it my own attempt at it was i'm sure terrible (laughs) but i probably got away with it because i was 14 Now, I believe members of the Slate Plus Nation will get to hear a little bit more from Samara Bay. Can you tell us what that will be? Yes. What is up, Slate Plus Nation? You get to hear (laughs) Samara talk about a film she's particularly proud of having worked on, Loving, which tells the true story of Loving v. Virginia, the the landmark case that ruled that miscegenation laws were unconstitutional. Uh, But the film stars an Australian and an Irish woman as two Americans from the South. And so it it was quite the challenge. And we talk about how she did it. Amazing. That is something everyone needs to hear. And it's easy to gain access to this exclusive material. All you have to do is subscribe to Slate Plus. You'll get members-only content, zero ads on any Slate podcast, full access to Slate.com, bonus episodes of shows like Slow Burn. My God, so many benefits. And what's more, you'll also be supporting the work we do here on Working. It's only a dollar for the first month. To sign up, go to Slate.com slash working plus. All right, I will stop providing very confusing material for the dialect coaches of the world. Let's listen to Isaac's conversation with dialect coach Samara Bay. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Samara, thank you so much for joining us here on Working Today. My pleasure. Hello. So let's just start with the basics. What do you do? I do a few things at this point. 
But my main job is that I'm a dialect coach for actors in Hollywood. So that takes two forms, usually. One is I'm on set uh, for a long, you know, 12-hour day, uh, warming up my actors in the morning, in their trailers, often connecting with them about what they're recording, what they're shooting, I should say, that day, and being with them on set. The other thing I do is one-on-one private sessions for an hour or two hours in preparation for things like that or actors who have big auditions coming up. And a lot of that's training people to speak in specific accents, right? That is what it is, for sure. It is a combination of introducing vowels and consonants and musicality into people's mouths that is foreign to them with inevitably some actual text work on Mm -hmm. the actual lines that they're working on written by, you know, usually other people. And integrating what I like to call good dialect work with good acting, because it doesn't really work to just be like, here's some funny sounds. Bye. Right. Because they still have to be invested with meaning. They have to be humans. Yeah. 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 Which is honestly, this is the part that where my heart and soul is because dialect work, you know, everyone wants to talk about accents. It's like, Mm -hmm. oh my God, my uncle had this funniest accent or, you know, oh my God, I, I worked for years to lose this weird thing that I had from where I grew up. Accents are, there's so much to talk about there, but you know, what every one of those conversations is actually about is what the human being is behind the accent and how that's affected their life. Fascinating. It's funny because I think about, you know, obviously there's a defensive reason to want to get the accent right, right? Because otherwise someone from the area you're talking about is going to be like, they're going to flame that movie on Twitter or something. But it's also part of the artist's job, right? You know, there's a there's a positive part of wanting to get the dialect uh, right. Well, look, the opposite of the fear-based version is I'm trying to honor what the story is that I have signed on to do. And so, you know, what I, dialect coaching within the larger production world of Hollywood is, A, it's relatively new. That didn't even exist as a job until, I don't know, 80s, 90s. It's not on IMDb. I am on IMDb, but I'm on IMDb under miscellaneous crew, ladies and gentlemen. I am and probably will remain miscellaneous crew. Um, But, but, (laughs) but more to the point, um, it is, I think, in its best moments, in its most collaborative moments, with, I mean collaboratively, with the creative team, with the writers, with the producers, with the actors, it is a design element. Mm. So in the same way that, you know, productions hire a costume designer who doesn't just say, like, this is a fun outfit, but says, like, what is the outfit that best represents the story we're trying to tell for who this human is in this moment that we're seeing them on camera? It's exactly the same. What is the sound coming out of their mouth and what does it reveal about who this person has been until this moment and is right now? Uh, so, so how do you train to do that? No one knows. It's it's every single one of us has a, a winding journey because needless to say, this is not one of those jobs that people grow up thinking, I know when I grow up, I want to be a dialect. There's so little exposure to it. No right. one knows another dialect coach. I know the rest of the dialect coaches because we've all, you know, there's a lovely sense of solidarity now. There's so few of us, though. And there's less than 20 of us total on both coasts. You know, you think about like the old days and the in the early days of talkies, right? Like the voice coach's job was to give everyone a mid-Atlantic accent, right? So they all that kind of like, hey, buddy, why don't we do? You there know, is right? a real, there's a real lineage to the, as you say, the mid-Atlantic accent. The some 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 less appealing terms for it is elocution, right? And an even less appealing term, quite honestly, if we're going to get real real, is the vocal arm of white supremacy. Totally. There is Proper a right speech. way to speak 
And we are in America where, you know, uh, social mobility is a thing. And how do you get up there? Well, you speak better. And boy, oh boy, there are remnants of that all over the place. Right. I mean, we think about proper diction or proper speech on camera or, or, or on stage. And I feel like it's only been been recently that that people have been really invested in unpacking what we mean by proper and who gets to set what that is. I mean, I even have, I have clients who are not trying to be mean to themselves, who use words like I don't speak correctly. There are there's a standard. There's a standard American. It exists. It is an accent. It's a made up accent. It's fun. It's good to learn. I learned it. I got an MFA in acting. I did a three-year conservatory acting program to answer your question on how I sort of got here. And all of us who go through that sort of training in order to be, you know, whatever, Shakespeare in the Park, Broadway level actors, learn standard American, but it's a made-up accent. It's just the most open, pure, energized, quote-unquote, version of every vowel and consonant sound. It's It's not actually an accent anyone has. And to add a moral element to it is deeply problematic. I mean, that's where this the people's use of words like proper or correct, you mm-hmm. know, and, and accidentally it comes out in schooling, you know, when somebody who has a regional accent or who has, you know, to get linguistic here for a second, to have an accent with markers of class or race that are further and further away from the straight white male model, there is an experience that happens in the classroom of you don't sound right. Mm-hmm. And I'm, you know, the, the, uh, the part of dialect work um, that feels like it intersects with social justice work is where my heart and soul lies. And, and I actually pitched a book at the beginning of the pandemic and I'm working on it right now. That's really this lo- much larger question of what it is to speak up with the voice we actually have and still have power. So it sounds like in some ways, part of your job is like undoing all the stuff we've learned about how we're supposed to talk when we're on camera or whatever in order to insert like a humanity. I love that. Yeah. I mean, the the reality is on a job by job basis, I don't have an agenda like that. I mean, right. of course, I bring my my values to the table, but my agenda on a specific job is to tell the story that the creative team wants to tell. And being a lifelong theater person, like that level of collaboration is dreamy, dreamy. Just to talk about the private coaching thing for a bit. So there's, you know, some actors who you regularly work with on auditions and on text to just kind of um, figure that out. You know, if I'm like, oh, gosh, I just got cast as this thing. Uh, I have to speak in an English accent or whatever, you know, like, and I call you up like, like, what what are the steps by which you're kind of. Okay, here's the super basic. Um, I pull a sample, usually from YouTube, and I find a sample for my actor of somebody who, A, has an accent that's pretty consistent with themselves. Not all of us are consistent with ourselves. That's fine, but it makes it harder to learn the accent. The sounds shift in different weird ways based on, you know, maybe it's a hybrid accent and that person spent only part of their life in that place. So I try to find somebody that isn't that, that has a really, really clean, easy to learn accent. And I break down what the sounds are. So by that, I mean, I use this lovely device called the International Phonetic Alphabet. It's, it's what everybody sees when they look in a dictionary and, and they see these, you know, an upside down lowercase e, for example. And so when you're working on a set, are your early meetings with the director to kind of, you know, like a designer to kind of figure out what these accents need to be? Or, you know, what point in the process of making a movie do you usually come on board? It's really different for different projects, and it has a lot to do with budget, but also with how much experience the creative people you just described have with a coach 
and with understanding what a coach like me actually does or can do if they if they want to give me that responsibility. You know, sometimes honestly it happens the night before and they, my agent lovingly and with a huge wink will call and say, dialect emergency. <laughs> and, you know, a dialect emergency is like, oh shit, we hired a British actor. We forgot that they're British and they start tomorrow and they're supposed to sound American. It's doable. I'm like a big fan of like, being unprecious enough about this that with one hour I can <laughs> fix a dialect emergency. But in an ideal scenario, you know, I'm brought on weeks in advance. And yes, I have a phone date with the director. They download to me what um, they want the spirit of this accent to be, how not only how thick they want it to sound, but like what they want it to feel like. Because we all know whether we talk about it or not, that we all have uh, ingrained biases or, you know, whatever the less bad way of putting it is, we make meaning uh, from what we hear. So what is the meaning that we want people, we creatives want people to get from this character? Interesting. And also, I guess, I mean, whatever the platonic ideal of a dialect is, is not something that people actually speak really well it's an interesting question exactly exactly you know there's this there's this um fancy linguistic term idiolect i-d-e-o idiolect and an idiolect is a way of saying that every single one of us sounds different from everyone else i like to add because of our life experience so of course it's the obvious things where we grew up what our parents sounded like if we were immigrants you know but then it's very quickly what our friends sounded like who we idolized who we wanted to sound like when we were in formative years, who we dated, where we went to school, and, you know, where else we lived. And then this much more nebulous, but of course, I think, endlessly fascinating aspect of how each of us speaks, which is what we did or have done or continue to do in rooms of power in order to get by. And that's where we get a lot of feminine markers of uh, using, quote unquote, like too much, or upspeak or vocal fry. the the use of a uh, you know these sorts of things it's i think all of it is beautiful but all of it is fair game this is like what is the idiolect of us why what about our life made us come out the way we sound now and you know the other side of that is nobody sounds like anyone else so they're yes they're wrong there are wrong ways to do a dialect like if you're not telling the story in a way that the audience is going to get the story that needs to get understood that's wrong That's actually like sort of, you know, I'm not doing my job, but there's a lot of right. It's interesting because it it, it sort of reminds me of all of the paradoxes of realistic acting in in general, right? Like it's like if a character spoke as fully contextualized as we really speak in our daily life, you'd be like, this character has no consistency. You know, you would watch it and you'd be like, they're talking in all these different ways. What the hell is going on? You know, or if we actually spoke realistically, it wouldn't look anything like what dialogue actually looks like in a TV show. Well, so don't tell that to writers. Because- I feel like they're trying <laughs> to capture the authenticity right. you're speaking of. But yes, you're right. We 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 we, re- we expect a certain consistency when we're watching something. Yeah, yeah. And so it's interesting that you come at those paradoxes from this other other angle, right? It's like part of what you're talking about, just to give an example, is that lots of actors make really detailed character biographies to try to figure out who their person is. And and you sort of, you do some of the same stuff in trying to figure out how they talk. And it's not really abstract. I mean, it sounds abstract now because obviously I'm just sort of talking generally, but uh, when we have a script in front, of, in front of us, we get to decide, the actor and me get to decide, are you going to drop your G at the end of that ING word or not? 
And it's not a decision. I don't mean to imply that I'm controlling them from off camera and it's a decision that we're making, you know, days before they hit set. But what I am saying is you have options. And what are those two different things going to feel like? Well, if you say running and jumping, it's going to feel different than running and jumping. Something else that you just said that I want to pull out is we humans in our real moments of real communication in the theater world, we call it the urge to communicate, you know, and we're actually having like a, ah, I want to say something. We use language so much more creatively than we give ourselves credit for. The sounds get elongated. The musicality is all over the place. We use pitch up and down. We're, you know, when we're really in ourselves and really need something, we use so much vocal dynamics. And then when we're playing a character, whether we're an actor, honestly, or not, or we're just on a podium and we're playing the character of ourselves and talking in front of other people, we often tend to minimize and try to not sound, you know, weird quote unquote. Uh, and especially if we're doing dialect work, we are perhaps worried about getting it right. And I have to, I have to be there to remind them like, but also you're a, you're a character, you're human as this character who wants to use language to get what this character wants. I dare you to be as creative vocally as this character as you actually are in real life. We'll be back with more of Isaac's conversation with Samara Bay after this. So, hey, listeners, a couple of things real quick. First, if you're enjoying this podcast, please take a moment to subscribe to our feed wherever you get your podcasts so you will never miss a second of working. And if you happen to be listening on Overcast, please recommend the episode by hitting the star icon. Also, do you have questions about the creative process, big or small? You can drop us a line at working at slate.com or give us an old fashioned phone call at 304-933-WORK. That's 304-933-9675. We love phone calls. Give us a ring. Okay, let's rejoin Isaac's conversation with dialect coach Samara Bay. When you're on set, are you, I mean, you talked about keeping the actors warm, you know, having them, you know, sort of keeping them in the space to think about the the dialect work. Are you also kind of um, touching up the accent as it goes away on, on takes? And Here's what set, set life looks like. Yeah. Um, so for anybody who's not been on set, the director usually sits away from the actors, definitely out of eye contact mode, often in a different space entirely, staring at monitors, usually two to three monitors, depending on how many cameras are actually shooting simultaneously. So that is called video village, that little away from the action monitor space. And there's a few director's chairs set up. The director sits in one, the script supervisor sits in one. The script supervisor is this lovely human with this massive um, amount of papers trying to figure out like continuity and make sure that every word is being said and every arm is in the same place for every take. Behind them is usually two chairs, a writer or a producer and me. So what a fun and weird and lucky perk of dialect work that when I'm on set for those 12 hours, I'm actually really kind of in the creative hub. And obviously, different directors work differently, and some are more collaborative than others. But in the greatest scenarios, they actually are interacting with me all the time. You know, that 
either that that bit sounded odd or they're a little low volume. Do you think it's because they're not feeling comfortable with the accent? You want to go in or should I, you know, we're actually kind of discussing how best to interact with the actor during this really sacred, strange time when they're on set with the cameras on them and they're, the camera's not rolling, but it's, it's in this, you know, sort of um, suspended space between takes. And part of being a good dialect coach is knowing when it's about dialect and when it's not and knowing when, uh, how much the actor can take uh, in terms of notes from me in between takes. And touch-ups is a great way to put it because often when I come in is when the hair and makeup people come in, which is between takes. So they'll do it, we'll do a take of the scene all the way through and then the director will yell cut and then the hair and makeup people will go in because, um, you know, oops, the actor teared up in that scene and now we have to fix the makeup underneath so it'll look the same for continuity, it'll look the same for the next take and I slide in too. And depending on who my actor is and what I know they need, I will either... um, give them just eye contact and the thumbs up if they did a brilliant job and I know they need a little, they're feeling a little nervous. Or I'll remind them of a tiny sound that maybe slid a little bit in that take and I know that they can get it right if I just give them a little, you know, it's the ah, 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 ah. And they'll be like, oh, yeah, okay. Ah. Yeah, because if you overnote them, if you overnote an actor, they can get, they could just sort of short circuit. But you could correct. And you can imagine because actors, beautiful artists that they are, um, range pretty dramatically in what their, uh, <laughs> I was going to say pathologies are. And some of them um, would get really anxious getting a note mid, mid scene. And some would get really anxious not getting a note. Hmm. And so, you know, you read your people. And so when you're in the ADR process, right, which is, you know, as you said, um, when you're going back in and dubbing over or inserting new dialogue or, you know, dialogue that the microphone maybe didn't pick up, uh, or in some cases rewriting a movie in post using it. Um, uh, what is your job like, uh, uh, then? Sometimes it's just as simple as, um, consistency. It's usually ADR happens six months later because, you know, there was a whole editing post-production process. So I'm helping my actor jump back into a character that they haven't played for a long time. Sometimes, especially if it's a TV show, the director is not there anymore because TV show directors are are sort of journeymen, journeywomen, and they have moved on. (laughs) So there isn't anybody in the space who can talk to them about keeping their performance, their the voice matching the performance as well as the accent. And I'm happy to slide into that because otherwise the actors just get, get kind of wide-eyed and like don't just keep using level the the audio people use the word level to mean sound louder and it's like that's such a great example to me of how much like the audio people in that space are brilliant at what they do but that's not the same as helping an actor right act uh so yeah i mean i I kind of slide in, in in any kind of like support creative capacity there but often it really is just like Remember that accent we did? <laughs> so it's this sound, not that sound. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Because they might not have even thought about it in a very long time. Sometimes I get it. Sometimes they, they grant me an hour of prep before ADR to sort of slide back into it. You know, sometimes not. Um, or we're actually in ADR. I mean, you know, to be totally frank, sometimes we're in ADR to fix accent moments. Mm-hmm. So if... You know, especially for an English language actor doing English in a different accent, for example, British actor doing American, it's pretty obvious to everyone when they're not quite there. Right. And maybe it was a heightened dramatic scene and I made the choice on set uh, to go in after the first take, but not to go in after that because I was going to throw them. Maybe they maybe they had their greatest take at take number 23. It made everybody in the all 150 crew members gasp or hold their breath because something real happened. 
I'm not going to go in there to say your ah was a little off. But in ADR, what a great opportunity. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. I imagine that there may be instances in your job where you meet with a little resistance to what you do. Either the director's kind of unfamiliar with the job and it's like, hey, it's it, I'm the one who works with the actors. Or you have an actor who maybe it even raises emotional stuff for them or they're worried about being spontaneous and keeping the truth or whatever. How do you kind of navigate those bumpier parts of the collaborative relationship? Isaac, you, you just you put it all you put it all into words. Yes, <laughs> yes. Um, the resistance is both of those things. Um, the creative uh, team obviously worries that I'm going to fuck up their actor. I've had a I've had a director say, um, "We got a note from the studio that we need 50 percent less accent, but don't get in the way of her comedy. If you if you make her less funny because she's now obsessed with her accent, that's on you." <laughs> he didn't say it like that, but that was very much how he was feeling, and I was like. <laughs> We're going to fix that. Um, with the actors, it's really interesting. I mean, that fear that if I'm working on an accent, I will never be able to act again is present for literally everybody. Um, and it is my job as a coach. It is part of my job to hold their hand through that and say that feeling you have right now of I'm not an integrated human. I'm either doing technical stuff over on this side or I'm doing emotional connection stuff over on this side and I'm running back and forth, but they feel like they're on opposite sides of a field and I can either sound accurate or I can be an actor. That feeling I get to reflect back to them is the most normal thing in the world. Every single person, including every movie star I've ever worked with has felt it. And that those two those two goals on the opposite side of the field become closer and closer and closer until they integrate uh, in the middle. And that process can happen within a single hour. You just have to shut down your brain from worrying. And as I love to tell people, you know, there's no way around but through. And so when you're in it, when you're in the through, um, I get to just be there and be like, you're doing it, you're doing it. And that part of you that worries that you're a robot and you'll never be able to act again. Congratulations, you're a human trying to integrate. Well, I will try to remember this as we move into the uh, practical demo part of this episode because we have a special treat for our listeners. We thought it would be fun uh, as a way of demonstrating what you do to have you attempt to help me mediocre actor that I am, deliver some text in an accent other than my own. So where do we begin with that? You're in charge now. It's now your episode. You can do anything. The, I'm drunk on power. Um, thank you. Finally, I got what I wanted. Uh, so first of all, um, I have a little audio clip for you, Isaac. Okay, great. Um, Isaac and I have discussed ahead of time briefly, and he requested an Irish accent. So my goal was, of course, to find uh, an excellent sample for you. In an ideal world, somebody who is your type, quote, unquote. I chose um, one of the gentlemen from the boy band One Direction. Oh, good, good. Yeah. Um, his name, I believe the way he pronounces his name is Niall Horan. And I picked him because his accent is gorgeous and clean and really, by clean, I don't, I, I don't mean the opposite is dirty. I mean, the opposite is messier and harder to sort of grab a hold of. Uh, and I'm going to play it for you right now. Cod. It's basically to kind of like tell someone a lie. You'd say something sarcastic, they'd go, really? And then you'd go, I'm only codding you. And that's how you would use it. I'm only messing with you. So right away, we're hearing some of the, some of the sounds, right? So to tell someone a lie. 
You can just try this out. Just try this out. I like to call this the big, loud, bad version. Great. Okay. Big, loud, bad. Okay. Wait, wait. You say it and then I'll say it. Tell. Tell. Someone. Someone. Some, someone. A lie. A lie. And most importantly are the vowels for Irish. And that is that someone, the word someone, despite being written with O's, is in both of those syllables, uh, an a uh, cup sound, some, one, uh, uh. And that uh, uh big, big, big rule for Irish, that uh goes to as in good. So that means one goes to one. And so someone is both of those. Someone. Right. Tell someone a lie. Tell, tell someone a lie. That's so good. Come on, everybody. <laughs> so now we see how much flattery is part of your process. Well, yes, but I would call it cheerleading. And it is know, very I distinct know. from flattery in that, and this is important to me, I don't actually lie about this. I have to be right. very honest. The final sound that you're hearing in that lie for anybody listening is that I sound, which is a diphthong. Diphthong is the fancy name for a vowel that smushes into a second vowel. So in this case, I is a into e in American right. English. I, ah, e, 90% that first one and then a little tail of that second one. I switches to a little, heads in the direction of, but not all the way to oi, oh, what we would think of as oy. Not all the way, too extreme, but somewhere in between. So I becomes oi, as in tell someone a lie. <laughs> tell, I can't do it and smile at the same time. Hold on. <laughs> um, tell someone a lie. I would argue you can't not do it and smile. It's just I know, so joyful. I know. So, it but lie. In that same little clip, uh, that a section I didn't play, he says, well, first of all, he just says his name. And says, so he says the word I'm, as in I'm, my name is. He says, I'm. So you could say, I'm, I'm Isaac. I'm Isaac. There you go. And then, you know what? Musicality. The hardest part to teach is musicality because it often comes from just listening and kind of getting it into your body. But remembering that the Irish in general are quite relaxed about how much pitch variation up and down they use compared to some Americans who get a little anxious and thus get a little flatter. So similarly, I'm Isaac could be very flat. I'm Isaac. Perhaps you're in a mode, your character is in a mode where they are hiding how they really feel about something. They're holding back. I'm Isaac. I'm Isaac. Assuming that you're as free as this lovely gentleman is in this video and that we're trying to match his spirit. I'm Isaac. I'm Isaac. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I applaud your bravery. You can see you start to figure out what the sounds are and then apply them. And it's more of a soft brain skill than a hard brain skill. Although some mm. actors really want to get hard brained about it. And then I do write international phonetic alphabet symbols over all of their big sounds. They want to, they want to do it sort of in a really rote way. Yes. And you yeah. know what? Part of being a good coach or being a good teacher is being flexible with my teaching methods based on what the brain is of the human that I'm trying to, you know, sway. So th I'm fine with that. But I love when they're willing to play, as you just were. Ugh. So, you know, the, the, some of the other sounds, just to, just to run through it so that people can um, enjoy it if they'd like, is a lot of those diphthongs um, become single sounds. So, for example, O, as in broken... Um, in American English, a uh, oo o oh, becomes o oh, broken. Broken. <laughs> that's just like that's just the, that's just one of the sounds. That's the o sound broken. plus yeah. length. O oh, right. right. And similarly, um, uh, he says basically that a e e in American English a a becomes just that first sound the e eh, but with length. Basically. Basically, and then I wait. Did I get the? I think I got the tongue placement wrong on the l. Uh, it's uh, so it's it's eh, it's just eh for the okay, like a so short e but with length. Yep. Basically, 
Basically, okay. I'm basically, basically. Isaac. <laughs> and I'm from Ireland. And then, of course, and then, of course, I'm going to push you in the privacy, in the safe space away from set um, to try out sort of crazy levels of pitch. Uh, I'm obviously using crazy with a big asterisk because I don't want anybody to feel like I'm pushing them into super clowning land. But like when, if not in the safe space that I have created, can you find stuff? I mean, what is beautiful right, right. and strange about dialect work is that I am the person who gets to be with the actor in the extremely nascent stages where, you know, fun fact about actors, they're all perfectionists. I get to see them before they're perfect, mm. help them become this character without agenda, without judgment, and just letting them like actually be an artist in front of me as they figure stuff out. Well, thank you so much for coming on Working and talking to us about your process and demonstrating a little bit of it with me. Isaac, thank you for being so game. I'm so (laughs) impressed with you. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Isaac, what a great interview. Samara is a force of nature. And needless to say, I absolutely loved the impromptu coaching session. And of course, I really, really loved that she correctly pegged your type as being a member of One Direction. Uh, (laughs) You did an amazing job. Did you ever try to change any of the markers in your own original accent? Uh, no, not in my life. I mean, due to the particularities of race and class and where I was born, I have a kind of, you know, what we think of as standard American accent, I suppose. But both of my parents are from the South and my mom's brothers in particular have a real solid Richmond, Virginia accent, which is very difficult to imitate and does not really sound like what we think of when we think of Southern, which Mm. is, you know, talks like foghorn leghorn as I think when we when we think of the south right uh and so maybe it's because of that or maybe it's because DC actually used to have its own homegrown accent that doesn't exist anymore Mm -hmm. but uh uh, I do find them fascinating and I love doing accents and impressions of people (laughs) and think I'm pretty good but not great at it yeah same I also loved her distinction between cheerleading and flattering like you want people you're working with to feel motivated and to get positive reinforcement when they're doing things well. But professional coaches shouldn't lie to their clients, right? 
Yeah, absolutely. But I also think in that moment, you got a sense of how good she is at the interpersonal part of the job. Because you look, if you look at that moment, I was deflecting her compliment with self-deprecation because <laughs> I felt very self-conscious and embarrassed doing this thing that I didn't really know how to do and <laughs> knowing it was going to be recorded and broadcast to yes. thousands of people. Um, but she was able to reassure me that the compliment was genuine with like a good sense of humor and get me back on track, which is great because as she said in the episode, so much of her job is actually getting people to stop thinking and yes. to just do. Yes. As someone who's taught languages, that's the secret. Like, you have to let go. You have to let go of being hung up, being uptight, being... You just got to relax into it, not worry about sounding like a clown. And as everyone who knows me knows really well, relaxation is really a strong suit of mine. So, you know. <laughs> Good. Now, as I was listening to this, I was thinking, what did people do before the internet? I mean... I can see that having a literal world of accents just absolutely fully accessible on YouTube has completely transformed Samara's work and also, you know, made accents and voices constantly accessible to actors too. There are so many versions of this. Alison Bechdel has written about the evolution of photo references for her drawings. First, she had to collect all these books full of photographs. Then she started photographing herself in various posing. Now, she and everyone else can just find pretty much anything online. Is there any equivalent internet resource that has transformed your creative work? Oh, sure. I mean, there's probably more than I can think of. But, uh, but to name one that's very specific to the method... Google Translate, because I was occasionally consulting Russian language sources for the first third of the book and being mm. able to feed them into Google Translate, which is actually OK on Russian, allowed me to read them and then check any quotes or ideas or plot points or whatever I want to use with a Russian speaking friend. So instead of having to write my friend Jerry and be like, can you read this hundred page document <laughs> and tell me what it says? Because, you know, he has like a job and a kid yeah. and all sorts of stuff like that. Yeah. I could actually read it on Google Translate and get a pretty good sense of what it meant. And a lot of those documents actually came from an online Russian language library of primary source theater texts. Amazing. That really is amazing. So this interview made me realize just how much British TV shows in particular lean on accents to denote class and regional origin. Um, a comedy like W1A, I don't know if you're familiar with that show, Isaac, um, but it's fantastic, uh, is really six accents as much as it's six characters. There really isn't much characterization beyond the accents. But maybe you don't need much more to express a character in comedy, especially in Britain, where viewers will immediately hear, oh, she's Welsh, oh, he's from the North, oh, she speaks with an upper-class accent, but she didn't grow up talking like that. There's less of an over-reliance on accents for that kind of thing in the US, I think. Yeah, I, I would agree. And I know you've spoken before about how characters with northern accents are all uh, immediately the the butt of a joke in, in yes. a lot of British or the comedy. Villain. Yeah, 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 totally. I mean, there are some particular accents that we can think of, right? The Boston mm. accent that means mass hole. Uh, <laughs> southern accents for white people usually code as racist and not mm. very bright on film mm -hmm. and television. But it is not the same as in the UK, for sure. I, I had a friend who was British and emigrated to the United States when he was in his 40s. And, and we worked together when he was in his 60s. And one thing he said to me was that he wanted to leave the UK in part because he just knew the second that he opened his mouth that everyone would know his life story in the yeah. UK. He, he was from the Fens and he had kind of invented a posture sounding accent when he went to Cambridge and it never sounded right. And he just knew and was very self-conscious that everyone would know that whenever he spoke. And he also wanted to escape 
that he would know everything about everyone yeah. else whenever they talked. So, um, uh, you know, we, I think, code class and race and other kinds of backgrounds in different ways here. That doesn't mean those codes don't exist. Mm -hmm. They're just not as firmly encoded in all their micro variations in a detectable way in how we talk. Oh, I can so relate to your friend. I would say that I left for exactly the same reason. Mm. Um, this interview really expanded my understanding of the complexity of acting, like in a in a really basic way. Um, I mean, I know that an actor has to inhabit a character, just one part of which is speaking in the way it's been decided that that character speaks. But I was really struck when Samara talked about sometimes choosing not to intervene when an actor isn't really nailing the accent because other parts of the performance were really clicking. And she also knew it could be addressed in post. Like, there are so many elements in play to recording a, a movie or a TV show. Yeah, absolutely. And and one reason why I wanted to talk to her was there is this way in which like the dialect work is like any other component of acting and that it's both technical and it's creative at the same time. Mm. And you have to kind of walk a fine line there. You know, when you're acting in a film, you usually have to hit an extremely specific mark to make sure the camera has framed the shot properly. You know, sometimes you have to, I don't know, you might be sitting at a desk and you have to place your elbow exactly on a piece of tape on the table so that it creates the correct angle for your arm when you put your head in your hand so that it looks perfect. <laughs> That's highly artificial. And one of the skills of a great actor is being able to pull that stuff off, make it look and sound natural and be really in the moment emotionally, or at least appear to be all at once. And that I think is much harder than it looks. I, for example, <laughs> can't do it. No, I'm absolutely positive that I could not either. That's it for this week. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, please remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Then you'll never miss an episode. And yes, I'm going to give you a Slate Plus pitch. Slate Plus members get benefits like zero ads on any Slate podcast, bonus episodes of shows like Slow Burn, and you'll be supporting the work we do here on Working. It's only a dollar for the first month. To learn more, go to slate.com slash working plus. Thanks to Samara Bay for being our guest this week. Our amazing producer, as always, is the great Cameron Drews. He is so great, in fact, that he did next week's interview with reality competition casting director Aaron Tomasello. Do not miss that episode. Until then, get back to work. <laughs> this is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.